of 60 years. How do you stay married for 60 years? It's a good question. Uh, our procedure is uh, we get up in the morning, make the bed, and I ask her, I says, well, do you want to try it one more day? And her, ordinarily, she says, oh, yes, yes, yes. Here lately, it's a kind of a pause. She says, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Well, so far, it's been the affirmative, so it's just, as I say, one day at a time, and uh, just try to be nice to one another. And so that's kind of, that's kind of our secret. Uh, 60 years ago, it was kind of a different world. Uh, things cost a little different. Uh, we, well, in 65, we bought our first house, paid uh, $15,600 for it. It's a pretty nice house and uh, three bedrooms, two baths. And uh, then we moved, we've had seven other houses since then. And so we would move, put a little more money with it a lot of times to kind of move up. And so we're living in a house which is, uh, is appraised pretty high. It's basically a $15,000 house that we've added some more money to every time we've moved. Uh, I paid $1,900, almost $2,000 for my first car, Ford Falcon. It had, a, it had a radio and a heater, and that was about it. Didn't have any air conditioning, straight shift. My wife, Janet, should have known something about it when I bought a car with a straight shift just before we got married. And she drove automatic transmissions. But she learned how to uh, drive the straight shift when she wanted to get out. So it worked out, worked out pretty good. But gasoline was 30 cents a gallon. Sometimes I'd have gas wars and got down to 20 cents a gallon. So it was different. But, but I was making $6,000 a year. So it all kind of compensated. So you didn't. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't all great, it wasn't all just cheap because you didn't make a lot of money either. But it's been a good life and uh, we had a, a lot of travels and done a lot of different things. Uh, and I built the interstate, which is a good thing, so that was good. And so we've had, had a good life. I'm very thankful for this. And very thankful for a patient woman too. So that's been very, very blessing there. I'd like to speak to you a little while this morning about temptation. Uh, the Lord in the fourth chapter uh, the book of Matthew uh, was tempted and the Bible says he could be touched with the feelings of our infirmities and he was tempted always like us all but without sin I don't know the Lord would look at a temptation and say boy I really want to do that Something really, I don't think it was like that but he experienced it and he gave, gave us an example of how to handle temptations and of course nowadays there's a lot of temptations in the world there's a lot of things being thrown at you I don't see how young people are standing. There's so many things coming at them, of temptations, of things to do that uh, can lead them astray, and in the long run be very, very bad for them. But the Lord in the fourth chapter shows us how to deal with four types of temptations. Let's begin in chapter uh, 4, Matthew, verse 1. Then was the Lord led up of the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. I don't know the purpose of this, other than to show how it can be handled and how the Lord will give us the examples of how to deal with uh, at least three types of temptations. And so he led in this wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward a hunger. To me, that's one of the great understatements of the Bible. 40 days and 40 nights without eating, and he's afterward a hunger. He was hungry. Uh, 
uh, he's had the same uh, passions that we do as far as our bodily needs, and he said he was hungered after this. The Bible is very explicit here. Uh, the Jewish fast was from sunup to sundown. And so 40 days of fasting might not be all that impressive, except the Bible comes back and says 40 days and 40 nights. And so it wasn't a typical Jewish fast. They would uh, fast, uh, go without food from uh, morning, six, till six o'clock in the evening, and they'd call that one day. And yet here the Lord would fast for day and night. Uh, we wonder, is fasting now a thing of the current, uh, our current requirements, or our current experience? Well, I don't see it explicitly put out here as far as fasting being required, but we do know they did it back at the time of the Lord. In Matthew, the uh, 6th chapter, verse 16, the Lord's talking to his disciples. Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad, sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thy head, and wash thy face. The point being, if you're going to do a religious activity, and if you think fasting is a religious activity, and you want to do that, sort of you don't want to make a big show out of it. You, you don't want to, as the Lord said, sound a trumpet, that people might look at you, and you might get glory from this because you are, you are fasting. But I don't see this as being a, a current activity, even though uh, Acts, the 13th chapter, we find Antioch sent out Paul and Barnabas to go out and to go into preaching as a, as a pair going out. And before they sent them out and laid hands on them and sent them out, it said that they prayed and fasted. And so the church there did have a, a period of fasting at that particular time for that particular activity as far as sending Paul and Barnabas out. Now, does that mean that we should do that now? If you feel like you need to, you want to, it, it can be made a religious experience to deny food and make you feel more dependent upon the Lord. I know that as far as health right now, there is a popular thing called intermittent fasting, that you uh, fast for a period of time, not a full, say, 30-day fast or something like this, but for a certain time of the day, you might do without food. And of course, that's what breakfast is. Break, break fast, breakfast means break fast from, you know, from your nighttime meal, get up in the morning, and so basically you are, you are breaking fast. But that is not shown as a particular activity of the church, but if you want to do that, certainly this is the way to do it, is to don't make a big show out of it. But here, uh, Satan was not doing a uh, religious fast for the Lord. He was just trying to tempt him and get him in a weakened condition. And that's the way Satan always comes to us. When we are in a weakened condition, we have been uh, such that we are susceptible to his temptations. We find this, he looked at Adam and Eve and said, okay, here's something, you have everything except one thing, and he tempted them, Eve, to partake of this fruit, we don't know what it was, but partake of the fruit, and that they would be such they'd be uh, craving to be better than they are, to be like the Lord, to be in church, and Satan would lay out these temptations, say, okay, here's what you'll happen if you do this. And then they said, well, the Lord told us not to. And then Satan lied, changed his word, and said, no, you won't die. And Satan's always been one that can take and twist and turn and even utilize scripture to his advantage to prove his point. And when he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was a hunger. And then a tempter came to him and saying, if thou be the son of God, 
command that these stones be made bread. We can condition the hunger, and I'm told that these stones, flat stones, there in uh, uh, Jerusalem, there in, in the Israel area, uh, looked like big, big flat pieces of bread that the uh, Jews would bake uh, for loaves, flat loaves of bread, kind of circular, and it would appear to be like, uh, like bread. And so the saying just all you have to do now is just turn the stones into bread and you won't be hungry anymore. We'll take care of that. Actually, all Satan wanted him to do was to obey him. He's always wanted the Lord to do his will and to follow after what Satan says. If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. In all three of these temptations, the Lord used Scripture to rebuke, uh, rebuke what the uh, Satan was saying. And so this came from Deuteronomy 8.3. Every word that's proceeded out of the mouth of God. So God told him, go back and look at Deuteronomy, uh, Christ told Satan. And think about this, that the Jews thought they just had to have bread. The only way we're going to get bread is to have this bread like we normally, normally get. But God gave them manna. He spoke it, gave them the, uh, what they needed, and they began to have the nourishment from this. But it wasn't the normal way to have it, but it came from the mouth of God. And so it's not all ways we think that we have to do things in order to achieve what we want. But God can give us whatever we need in any way he can do it. And sometimes in miraculous ways, we're least expected. The last thing that the Jews thought that, hey, we're going to get something coming down out of the sky. It's going to come down like little pieces of frost here. We're going to take that and, and put it into bread, and it will make our bread for us, and God's going to provide it for us. But following what Satan says, that's not necessary. That is totally opposite of what you should be doing. You should be waiting on God and let him solve the problems. But Satan says, all you got to do now is do what I say and turn these stones into bread. And the Lord quoted scriptures and said, Man shall not live by bread alone. Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. David says in Psalm 119, he says, I, I word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Uh, the only way really to be able to answer Satan when he throws these things at you is to know what God's word says. And so the Lord had it. Of course, he wrote the scriptures and he knew the answers. So, Satan gave up on that first thing of lust. Lust is something that's kind of in our, in our body here that is, is part, of, uh, part of us. And Satan always uses to work that lust of the body, whether it be sexual, whether it be appetite, be it anything that it, we crave. It's, uh, we're uh, addicted to it. Um, Job had one answer, Job 31 and 1. I made a covenant with mine eyes that when I then should I think, why then shall I think upon a maiden? Job says, I have made a deal with my eyes, not to look upon a maid. They all kind of TV ads and movies and everything were showing sexual things and trying to get you to take a look at it. And maybe that would move on to the next step. Uh, the lust of the eyes, uh, James talks about, it's something which kind of is a gate to open things up. That's what Adam and Eve, Eve looked at the fruit. It looked like something good to eat. 
And, and looking at it was a first step now to going and fulfilling what Satan had asked her to do. And Job says, I, I made a deal with my eyes. I'm not going to look at a maid. I'm, I'm going to uh, avoid that. Had David followed that rule as he was on the uh, horse, the uh, roof there in Jerusalem and not looking at Bathsheba, then a lot of been things would have been avoided. But by taking the look, the first step, do you remember uh, Ray Stevens and the song, The Streak? And it's a cartoon type thing I've seen that uh, uh, Ray Stevens has. And the street guy's streaking, and he says, don't look, Ethel. Don't look, Ethel. Well, I got to tell myself, don't look, John. Don't look, John. Turn away. Look away. Especially with uh, ladies who've got low-cut dresses on. Yeah. Hands up. Don't look. Don't look. Look away. Uh, Jan told me one time, maybe you ought to get one of those cones like dogs have so they won't uh, you know, be biting themselves or anything so I won't be looking where I shouldn't be looking. Sometimes I feel like a woman would say, look here, look at my eyes, don't, don't look down. But you have to just kind of tell yourself, I'm not going to go there. Because the eyes, looking the, beginning to look at it is the first thing that leads to the next step there. Uh, the people who make ladies' dresses, and people buy ladies' dresses now, short skirts, low cut, all this that's just trying to get the poor guy's attention, and then they wonder, well, why, why are they getting people looking at, looking at you that way? Well, it's their purpose, those who make dresses like that. And those who wear them, and those in movies and things like this that are showing things like this, just trying to have a sexual attraction to you because of what you're seeing. And so it's up to us to say that's a temptation and recognize it as a temptation from Satan. And how are we going to handle it? Well, we're just not, are not, going, to, uh, not going to look. We're going to, going to avoid this thing. And so this is how the Lord handled the first thing, quoted scripture, and says, you don't, I don't have to do it, you say. I don't have to. I'm, I'm in charge of what I do. Sometimes you feel like, the, like uh, Flip Wilson said, the devil made me do it. No, the devil can't make you do anything. The devil can tempt you, can make it look attractive, persuade you by uh, making it look uh, pleasant, and then you, it's up to you, though, to make the wrong step. Well, Satan failed on that attempt. Satan failed. He didn't get any, uh, any ground with the Lord, talking about turning these stones in, into bread. And so it goes to phase two of types of temptations. And then the devil take him to the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple. And saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee. And in thy hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. The devil said, I tell you what, you want to be popular. You have a message, you're just, if you're sent here, if thou be the Son of God, and if you're sent here to do something and to turn people toward the Lord, then here's a quick and easy way to do it. Go to the top of the temple, uh, and you throw yourself off the temple, and everybody's going to see you, and his angels are going to keep you, and you won't be hurt, and therefore you're going to be safe from this. Here's quoting from Psalm uh, 111, Psalm, and Psalm uh, 911. And he left out the part of this that says, He shall keep thee in all thy ways. In other words, if you are behaving in such a way as you should be behaving, 
You will not be tempting the Lord. You will not be throwing yourself off like that, acting foolhardly. You will not be doing this. But Satan left that part out. And so the Lord knew that he should not be doing that, of course. And he left us an example of quoting scripture once again. He says, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Deuteronomy 6 and 16. So here, number two, he struck out, Satan did, because of your Lord used, uh, used scripture. But this thing of impressing and to be popular is something still with us today, particularly with young people. Young people want to be popular. They want to be the, on the in crowd. They want to be on top of things. They want to be uh, looked up to. And on the flip side, they don't want to be looked upon as different, to be set aside and to be uh, uh, not, not, not popular. They, they don't want to be on the other side. And particularly, some kid has got a problem, and he's, not, he's being unpopular. Well, they don't jump in there and try to help him out because they don't want to ha have this unpopularity rub off on them. And so the popularity is something the Lord tempts us with all the time. Uh, e even as adults, we are tempted to go with the flow, to go with the crowd and to do what they do and to make our choices based upon how can we do things that are going to be uh, popular out in the world and to be appreciated and to be liked by everybody. And it's hard, impossible to like every, everybody like you. In order to do that, you're going to have to do a lot of compromising. You know, like old uh, Glenn Campbell said, the song says, there's been a lot of compromising on the way to my horizon. Well, Satan wants to ask us to always compromise. He wants him to uh, back off and do things we shouldn't do in order to achieve what we think is so important. But the Lord said, here, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Now, then, number three, the devil taketh them up unto exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And said to him, All these things I will give thee if they will fall down and worship me. So Satan finally comes out. Here's what I want you to do. Here, here's the whole object of this whole exercise we're going through. I want you to worship me. I want you to bow down and, and worship me, and I'll give you all these kingdoms. Well, first, he's always been a liar. They weren't his kingdoms to give. But it was only very attractive that if I can be uh, a ruler, if I can be king, everybody does, is going to do my will, they're going to bow down to uh, what I'm doing. Well, that's going to be very tempting. And, and Satan knows that. Well, it's hard for us to uh, uh, carry about being a kingdom, but how about having a lot of money? That's very tempting. That's something very, very tempting to any human beings nowadays. And that seems like what, what drives this world. And to, it's very similar to what's been quoted here. Just to quote, thou bow and show me all the kingdom, all these things I'll give you. He says, nowadays I'll give you what money will buy. I'll give you everything of this world, but you're going to have to compromise. You're going to have to sell your soul to me, as these old shows will show about. You're going to have to do what I say to achieve this. But then you ask the question, is it worthwhile? Is it worthwhile? Is doing this, uh, is it just going to be ashes to you? Well, the Satan has given three examples now of how Satan might come to us through lust, food, sexual things, anything that just appeals to our body. And, and, and then to be popular, that's number two. And finally, to have power, to, to have power and money. Those are still big on Satan's hit list. And how do you deal with it? Well, the Word of God. 
and consider the best thing is really what would Jesus do and what did Jesus do? How, how did he handle these temptations? And that's the example you have as far as how to, to handle temptations. But then after this, uh, he lost. He gave up for a while. In verse 11, Mark 4, uh, Matthew 4, 11, And then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. That, that to me is such a beautiful picture of standing up to Satan, uh, not agreeing with what he's going to have you to do, to back off and, and just uh, be a, a, a good soldier and stand your ground. And after that, you get the comfort of maybe not physical angels, but of the Spirit of God that you've done the right thing. And because you've done the right thing, that's the best thing that's going to turn out. And, and because of this, you are reinforcing your mind that you have done the right thing, and also in the future you're going to continue to do this. You're not going to be uh, tempted in such a way that you would go on and do it. Uh, in Luke, the fourth chapter, reporting on this event, it says angels left, uh, Satan left him for a season. That means all during his life, Christ still was dealing with Satan. I, Satan was always trying to uh, trip trait, uh, the Lord up. Even Satan was uh, in encouraging the Jews and Pharisees, trying to ask these questions that he couldn't answer. So he left him for a season. Well, that happens with us. If we stand up one time, that's not the end of it. Satan will return. He will be back. And therefore, you can't have to be alert the whole time. And to realize, when is this a tempt? Are you being tempted? Are you? And then if you recognize you are being tempted, well, then go to put your armor on, as the Bible says, and to deal with the temptations. And knowing that this is Satan, he's coming for a while, but he will be back after he has left. I, I know that we are all tempted. I know that things happen to us. I know that uh, we have to deal with it. And, and the purpose of the Lord being tempted was because we knew that he showed how to do it and to, how to follow and stamp against these temptations and then how to, uh, to deal with it. I hope when you get home that you'll get your Bible and you read the Matthew, the fourth chapter, uh, read the whole thing. But it's such a beautiful picture of uh, dealing with temptation. Certainly temptation is a uh, part of life nowadays. And you just have to acknowledge that it's there and you don't give in to it. If you don't give in to it, well, then angels do come and comfort you as they did the Lord. And you know it, it's the right thing. So that's uh, been brief, brief little lesson here. But I want to thank God. And for his lessons, and God bless you.